This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Oh, good morning. So wine, wine, wine. Good morning. Okay, so we were having that like a little debate. In. I'm going to have to have some wine. Right over that. I like that song just Alyssa now. Alyssa hates this song. Oh, it's so whiny. Oh, you I like No, I like some whiny. Like, oh, I, I love like Janis me. Joplin, but that just didn't sound good to me. I don't know. It hit my ears in all the wrong places. I don't know. I love it, guys. So welcome to Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. I am Selena Hill, but I wasn't here last She's week. She's Beyonce-fying the camera right now. Am I? Selena Hill. <laughs> With a little shrug. Right. I'm being like super animated. So I wasn't here last week. I was in Phoenix. But I'm back and we're live. We're in full effect. And I'm very happy to be here. I hope you guys are happy to listen to us. Of course, this is the show where we talk about politics, social issues, foreign policy. And we do that all from a millennial perspective. So, Alyssa, did you miss me? I did miss you. Aw. You know how many times last week I said that (laughs) during the feminist segment, I was like, we need the voice of a black woman on this segment. We're really missing the voice of a black woman on this segment. Ask Stanley. I'm not lying. I was actually happy to not have you here because, as you know, um, I am trying to take over your title as the queen of Let Your Voice Be Heard. Oh, my goodness. So, you you want to be the queen of Let Your Voice Be Heard? Yeah, why can't I be? You know, if if the queen had balls, she'd be the king. Well, maybe I, you know what? Now you're just gender bashing, and I don't appreciate that, Alyssa, okay? You've never heard that one before? I don't think I did either. I just heard it right here, Alyssa, so there we go. So, but guys, you know what? I am happy to have Selena back here because last week I had to be an adult and run the show. This week it's back to immature Stanley. <laughs> oh, and don't forget, listeners, never drink Hennessy without apple juice. What'd you Goals. do last night, Stanley? I didn't do it. Saturday, so this past Saturday was my first Saturday without having anything to do in maybe months. And I just, I really didn't do anything. I laid in bed. I watched movies. Loser. Um, I played yeah. video games. <laughs> I, I drank lots of whiskey. I, I, I was drinking whiskey like periodically throughout the entire day. So I may have had like, a consistent buzz throughout the entire day. That's but I, I didn't do any. And it was the first time since maybe November I've been able to do that. And I really needed it because I've been Aww. burnt out. Right. Well, you. What'd you do this weekend? Pretty much the same thing that Stanley did. I was. I was. So last weekend I was in Phoenix. So this weekend I used that time to catch up on some household duties. Like I did laundry, got some like paperwork together. I finally unpacked from my trips. So yeah. um, What about Alyssa? Did you like introduce yourself and then tell us what what did you do for like? Okay. Um, I'm Alyssa Fuchs. You can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Alyssa Fuchs, where I am broadcasting live right now. Um, we're also broadcasting live on Let Your Voice Be Heard Radio, Ustream, and the WHCR Facebook page, so you have lots of options. You can tweet us at Be Heard Radio. You can tweet me at Politically Preposterous or at Alyssa Fuchs, or you can leave a comment on the Politically, Politically Preposterous Facebook page. And what I did this weekend was went for a second interview with Councilman Kalos because I am trying to get onto Community Board 8. Nice. So that I can deal with transportation issues and complain about how we do not have enough uptown Q trains during rush hour, uh, how there are not enough protected bike lanes, how we need more places to lock bikes up. And this is specific to my neighborhood in the Upper East Side, but this is not that specific to that neighborhood in that these issues 
or for the whole city. There's many places where we need more bike lanes, more places to lock up bikes and better subway service. No, definitely. And we need fighters like Alyssa on the board to actually advocate for that. I don't know if Stanley introduced himself. I know you talked about Henny, but did you, like, give your name? I didn't want to introduce myself, actually, but I will since you're going (laughs) to force me. This is Stanley Fritz, a.k.a. Cat Zaddy, a.k.a. East New York to Harlem, a.k.a. Hennessy with apple juice, a.k.a. Whiskey with ginger, a.k.a. Angel of Harlem, undada-dun-dada, a.k.a. Bodega Boys is my hive and I rep a hard body, a.k.a. Find me on Twitter at Stan Fritz or on Instagram at Stan Fritz or on Snapchat at Dark Skin Swindle because I got the nice wavy hair. Well, you can come see him in the streets. You can't see me in the streets because if I see you in the Uber pool and you talk to me, I will call the police. Okay, what and then, and then, the, then the police will show up and arrest him. Right, so... Exactly. So, that was quite an introduction. Wait, wait, before you go on, Stanley, did you see my comment on your thing about uh, St. Patrick's Day? Uh, no, but that's because, like, I get so many notifications now. I just stopped checking them. Oh, okay, because I wrote hashtag white people. Oh, God, yeah. Can you share, please? Yeah, Can so, we all know what you two are talking about? Yeah, so, guys, Friday evening, I went out for a happy hour with some friends, and we forgot it was St. Patrick's Day. Well, I didn't know or care that it was St. Patrick's Day, and I think everyone else did. And we went to an Irish bar, like, the most Irish place you can go to on 33rd Street between um 7th and um 6th. And when I tell you, I witnessed five fights and one guy peeing in the, in a sink within an hour. It wasn't even nine o'clock when I left, and all those things happened. And I thought to myself, the NYPD makes such a big fuss about Labor Day parade, but there were five bloody fist fights in this <laughs> bar. Like white guys are just ready to go. Really? Yeah, it was ridiculous. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so I posted it on Facebook. I didn't think it'd get much attention, but apparently it blew up. Even I saw that and I liked it. You know, yeah. there was a really interesting article this week, um, actually on St. Patrick's Day in the New York Times about the similarities between Irish immigrants and, uh, you know, some of the immigrants that are coming here today. And the article pointed out that really the only reason why Irish immigrants were able to assimilate faster than other immigrants is because they are white. It's a really interesting article. I mean, yeah. It's called Green Beer and Rank Hypocrisy. You should definitely check it out. That is a common fact. So, guys, we have a great show lined up. We're going to start talking about the horrible, detrimental budget proposal that Donald Trump proposed. That budget is effing awful. It is horrible. We're going to talk about why it's horrible, the winners, the losers, and how it's going to affect you, I, and most working class people. So there's a lot to discuss with that. Later on in the show, we're going to talk about the crack epidemic, right? Because if you think about it, Donald Trump's policies are so far to the right, they're sort of taking us back to the 80s. And since we're already going to be talking about the 80s, we might as well talk about the crack epidemic. And as an 80s baby, I can't wait to tell you about all the crack babies and all the crack files. They used to pile up in front of my building and all the times I saw the crackheads scaling trees. No, we're not going to talk about those things in particular. But it'll be a pretty good conversation, and we'll be talking about just how this quote-unquote war on drugs really happened. And you know what? You might think it happened with the drug dealer, with the drug deal, but no, it happened right in the Oval Office. Right, definitely. So Stanley's going to educate us on that. Last but not least, Alyssa will be giving us a quickie explaining why Arkansas apparently wants to expedite the executions of eight prisoners within just 10 days. Yeah, so the long, sorry, the long story short of that is that their drugs are going 
going to expire. They're execution mm-hmm. drugs, and they need to do this before those drugs expire because once they do, they're not able to use those drugs anymore. But there's obviously deeper and um, you know more complex reasons why this is all happening at once, and I'll get into that later on. Definitely. So we have a jam-packed show, and of course we want you to let your voice be heard. That means you should call us up at 212-650-6903. You can also tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio or leave a comment on our Facebook live stream at WHCR. We're going on a quick break, but when we come back, we're talking about Trump's budget proposal. Don't go anywhere. All right, guys, so we're back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Again, my name is Selena Hill. I'm here with Stanley Fritz. He's on the PC ones and twos. And threes. And threes. And fives. And okay, six. so I, I don't know what those numbers mean. And we also have <laughs> Alyssa Fuchs here. Mm-hmm. Jackie Cohen could not be with us, Loser. but she's here in spirit with we us. We banned her from the show, actually. Yeah, she's never coming back. No, that's not true. She'll probably, hopefully, be back, like, next week. But, okay, so there's a lot to go over. As I mentioned before we went on break, Donald Trump rolled out his first official budget proposal last week. And it shows that if you're a working-class person in America or somebody who happens to value things like science and medicine, then you should be alarmed. Deeply alarmed. The budget would reallocate billions of dollars that are currently used to help the poor and fund scientific research, medical research, and the environmental and environmental uh, protection to the military. Fifty-four billion. On top of that, over a dozen popular federal programs would be completely eliminated. Nineteen, to be exact. But before we get to the details of the detriment of this proposal or how it would affect you and I personally, let's talk about the winners. So the winners of this bill. Rich people. Oh, well, we're going to start with what Stanley chimed in and said the military defense contractors. Why? Because the proposal would add $54 billion, with a B, to the military budget. That would give the Department of Defense a total of $639 billion. Now, this increase alone exceeds the entire defense budget of most countries, some of them combined. And it would be one of the largest one-year Defense Department increases in American history. And that sentence that I just that I just uh, said and paraphrased was something that was put into the budget document. So they're bragging about this, basically. What? Yeah, like they were like, we're taking a hard stance when uh, it comes to military. Did you see that news conference the other day? I didn't watch it live. The Mulvaney news conference? I saw clips of it. I couldn't watch it I live, I mean, though. it was like he was getting joy out of the fact <laughs> that they were going to hurt poor people. So who's, I swear. Who's Nick Mulvaney for people who don't so know who's he's the budget. He's Trump's budget director. So he's the one who's in charge of these things. And he did a press conference the other day. Um, and if you watch the press conference, it was pretty clear that he did not care about the fact that he was going to hurt the most vulnerable people. In fact, at one point, he was asked about um, the famine in Africa and about all the people that are dying because of the famine. And while standing there with shamrock napkin to symbolize St. Patrick's Day and, you know, the fact that most Irish people came here to avoid a famine, he literally said, 
you knew this was going to happen. We ran on the platform of cutting that UN budget. And the guy was like, yeah, but people are literally going to starve to death. And he kind of just shrugged his shoulders and said, not our problem anymore. Oh, like he literally got joy. It was like almost sadistic how much joy that he got out of the fact that people are literally going to die over these policies. I I can't. I can't. But before we get to the people who are going to die, there are other winners. There, Alyssa, you're, you're, you're depressing us too soon. Uh-huh. I think I got to talk about the winners of this bill. So if you Satan? happen, huh? It's winner? not us. <laughs> it's not us. No, 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 no. Look, if you happen to hate immigrants and hate Hispanic people or, or Mexicans or the fact that our economy depends on them, then you should like this because another winner is the anti-immigration movement. Apparently, the Department of Homeland Security will receive an increase of funding by about 6.8%. That sounds like a small amount, but that equates to an additional $44.1 billion. Now, this money will be used to hire 500 new Border Patrol agents and 1,000 new immigrant and custom enforcement officers. So that means there's more raids and there's more locking up uh, undocumented people for petty crimes and then trying to deport them. Another thing that this budget would allocate funds for is the wall, the wall that President Trump wants to build. Now, according to the budget, it designates $2.6 billion to the wall, but it's going to cost more than that. So... It's going to cost about like $29.2 billion to <laughs> build the what? wall. And guess what? Mexico's not paying for it. Well, according to Trump, they are. Yeah, but they're not. <laughs> well, we'll see how that goes. Another winner of the bill would also be the Department of Veteran Affairs. They would receive an increase as well. Now, I know you guys are so anxious to talk about the losers and how this is going to affect Wait, us how personally. How much would the Department of Veteran Affairs get? I actually don't have that a figure oh, right now, So, but we can tweet that out. But I know that uh, when it comes to the losers, as I mentioned, it is people like you. It's people like me. And it's definitely the poor, the working poor. According to the Washington Post, Trump's proposal would slash or abolish programs that have provided low-income Americans and that have helped them on every front. That includes affordable housing, banking, weathering homes, job training, paying home heating oil bills, and obtaining legal counsel in civil matters. Ironically, the right house budget cuts, they fall the hardest on the rural and small-town voters that got Trump into office. One in three people who are living paycheck to paycheck. These are the people that voted for Trump. These are also the people that would be hurt the hardest if this budget was actually to pass through Congress. Why have fun with the Hunger Games? And the budget, the proposed budget, would also result in the most severe cut to the Department of Housing and Urban Development since the 1980s. Hence, we name this, Are We Making America 1980 Again? Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it, it's a lot, guys. And, uh, you know, we can go into depth about how it's going to uh, hurt science and the Environmental Protection Agency, how it would hurt nurses. Apparently, it, they're uh, 400 and $3 million in training for health professionals and nursing programs would be cut. Artists would also be cut because the National Endowment for Arts would be eliminated completely. And there, like I mentioned, there are 19 other agencies that would be eliminated completely. So I do want to uh, get everybody's opinion on the budget cuts, find out what you thought is much detrimental. And if you're listening and you want to call in, you can call in now. The number is 212 212- 
6903. That again, that's 212 650 Okay, so um there's a lot in this bill. Uh we'll just start off by, you know, you Stanley, what did you find the most detrimental about the proposal? I mean, the, the entire the fact that Donald Trump is president and had a chance <laughs> to make a budget is is extremely detrimental and disheartening. But for people who like maybe they don't understand how important or how impactful government funding is these are literally your tax dollars that are now being taken away from programs that help you so anyone you know who has recently gone to school to be a cnr a nurse's assistant or even a nurse part of the reason you've been able to go to school and get financial aid for that is because of this budget allocation that we've had for that particular thing and because under obamacare we've had a higher need for nurses and people working in the medical field they are cutting that which means they are cutting off your legs and your ability to go to school for that which means now an industry that is that needs this health this this kind of like health professionals there is going to lose it and then when he's talking about the housing and urban development it's not just pro- like people think that it, all HUD does is take care of places like Grant Houses and Brownsville. We have these high-rise project buildings. No, there are millions of houses and apartment buildings all across the state where, all across the U.S., pardon me, where the government is subsidizing or giving landlords partial partial rent payments so that people can come there and pay a reasonable amount of rent. So when you're cutting that, you're literally cutting rent stabilized and Section 8 apartments that help people of all races. By the way, in, in New York, in Brooklyn, the Hasidic Jewish neighborhood, a big portion of, of the people who live there are living under rent stabilized housing. So that's going to hit them. So like when you're talking about these cuts, they're literally impacting people's lives on the front lines i'm i'm honestly worried about like what it's going to mean for, like for even for me and and for my job and the work that we do well hold on on how it's going to affect you personally yeah. let's get Alyssa's thoughts on initial reaction and what you found the most detrimental i mean here's the thing i find no surprise about this budget the steve bannon who's essentially the president has long talked about the fact that they want to dismantle the administrative state this budget has deep deep cuts to the environmental protection agency because they don't actually want to protect the environment it would cut 29 percent of the state department it would cut the agriculture Department, the Labor Department, Department of Health and Human Services, Commerce, Education, Housing and Urban Development, Transportation, Department of the Interior, Energy, Small Business Association, Treasury, Justice, NASA, everything, everything, <laughs> literally everything. The only thing that this budget does not cut is the military, veterans, and tax cuts for rich people. And here's the kicker. For all of this talk over the past eight years that Republicans have had about the debt and the deficit, this budget does not do one thing to reduce the debt or to reduce the deficit. On top of which, we are spending millions and millions of dollars for Donald Trump to go play golf in Mar-a-Lago every single weekend because he, for some reason, cannot stay in Washington. He is on pace to spend more than five times what Obama spent in his entire presidency just in the first year because of these Mar-a-Lago travel and vacations. And Republicans don't have anything to say about it. But yet they want to cut meal on wheels, which makes up a minuscule portion of the budget. This is a problem. This entire budget is problematic. This entire presidency is problematic and Donald Trump is an illegitimate president.
because of that. Thank you for that, Alyssa. And guys, if you again are listening and you want to chime in about your thoughts on how the Trump budget proposal might affect you or, or people you know or even your community, you can call us up at 212-650-6903. And now to answer that question, I thought the Meals on Wheels part was also something that resonated with me and struck me, especially during that press conference they had when um, a reporter pushed back against the Trump administration and he asked them, like, you know, this is going to cut Meals on Wheels. And their response was, well, it's not really we have to cut the, the programs that aren't really working well. And it's like Meals on Wheels are the programs that feed the elderly, that feed senior citizens who would no, who would other else may even die or who may not have any other visits. I mean, if you think about it, and I had a great uncle who used Meals on Wheels. Not only did the Meals on Wheels worker provide him with food, but he checked on him. He made sure he was still alive. He made sure if he needed something, he can give them. So like these programs, especially Meals on Wheels, are so crucial to the lifelines of so many seniors. Can I ask a question? And I really want you guys to try your best to give a serious answer. Why are they doing this? <laughs> I, okay, I, I think I have an answer. So, because they're putting so much money into the defense, they had to offset the cost. And if you think, and if you also note, he did not talk about Medicaid, Medicare, or Social Security in this budget. So yeah. what I'm thinking that they're doing is they're putting out all of like the, the things that aren't popular, but mm-hmm. then when they come back around to it, they're going to say like, oh, but at least we're not cutting Social Security or Medicaid or Medicaid. Wait, wait, wait. Let me answer that question. No, I agree with Selena. That's the thing. He ran on a campaign promise not to cut Medicare or Medicaid or Social Security. Now, Medicaid, we already know, is getting cut because that's yeah. going to get cut as part of the Obamacare appeal. We did a whole segment on that. You can go back and check out. It's from about two weeks ago, if I'm not mistaken, listen to our segment on that. But yes, they need to, in order to spend more money on the military and more money on this border wall that Mexico is not paying for, they have to cut other things. The problem is everything else that they're cutting makes up very, very little. The majority of the budget, two-thirds of the federal budget, is made up from military, Medicare, and Medicaid and other non-discretionary spending. So they're trying to cut out all these programs that they say are not working. Side note, they actually do work. The after-school meals program does work. So does meal on, Meals on Wheels. The fact is, because they don't want to touch entitlement programs, they have no choice but to cut all these discretionary spendings. But wait, they actually do have a choice. Because you know how you balance a budget? If you want to spend more money on the military, you raise taxes. And you raise taxes on the people that make the most money. But the thing is, Donald Trump doesn't want to do that. Because they want to protect their rich friends in the 1%. So if you're not going to raise taxes in order to balance the budget, then the only thing you can do is cut spending, right? Because otherwise, you just have a math problem. Stanley, to answer your question, so Donald Trump's administration and spokespeople, they've been making media rounds and when they get asked that question their answer is well you know we can't keep taking taxes from the coal worker and from the single mom in in Minnesota and using it to fund things that aren't working like Meals on Wheels but what we can do is use this money to support our military because that's what Donald Trump ran on and that's why they elected him for president that's what they're saying no, you're absolutely right. They, they are saying that. And, and we know it's They're bold. saying that. So, so here's the thing that I, that I really want people, all you guys who are listening right now, to, to understand. These are not just the kind of cuts. If they go through, these are not just the kind of cuts that are going to make things annoying. These are the kind of cuts that would decimate communities. These are the kind of cuts that you will get, guarantee that people will die. If this Trump care plan co- goes through, 
24 million people will lose their health insurance. If this budget goes through, Meals on Wheels is gone. The Environmental Justice Wing of the Environmental Protection Agency is gone. Funding for affordable housing is gone. And not just those agencies and the funding they provide for people that we know and that we don't know, but also the jobs. Because people work in these places. You're talking about taking away at least, I'm lowballing this right now, 20,000 jobs with all these apartments and all the different things that they impact. This is going to be a disaster for people. You're right, Stanley. And, you know, a little while ago, you were talking about how it's going to affect you personally. We're going to talk about how it could affect us and our communities personally right after this break. Don't go anywhere. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. Why you guys always judging me when I come in singing, huh? You don't I like Hennessy? You don't like your singing. Well, no, and I, what? I always wonder what you're going to say. <laughs> guys, so you can't see me if you're listening through like pod the podcast, but if you're on Facebook Live with us now, this is Selena's space when I sing. That it just looks so She's confused just not and sure shocked. What's coming yes, in. thank yes. you. The, yes, that's like, is he gonna curse? Is she gonna? Is he gonna? Curse? I don't. I don't know. I might what say you're gonna say. I don't know. <laughs> well, we're back, guys. This is let your voice be heard. As Stanley mentioned, my name is Selena Hill. That's Stanley Fritz, and here is Alyssa Fuchs, and we're talking about the monstrous, horrible proposal that Donald Trump dropped on us like a bomb. And uh, it's pretty much imploding um, for his political career and for everyone else in the country that happens to not fall in the 1%. So I also wanted to mention before we talk about how this is going to affect us personally, Trump also plans to cut $35 million from the for, uh, by closing, uh, he plans to save thirty-five million dollars by closing the section for capacity building for community development and affordable affordable housing program. So this money is actually used to use for Habitat for Humanity and humanity. other humanity and other charities that build and refurbish houses for poor people. On top of that, the Trump budget eliminates low income home energy assurance program. And this program is used to help a, a limited number of poor people pay their heating and cooling bills. So, frankly, we will be freezing out the poor and the elderly. Can I just add one more piece to that? So, for mm-hmm. those of you who are in New York City and you're listening to this, or even upstate New York and you're listening to this, what this means is right now, during the winter, you would get a subsidized gas or light bill because the government was paying for some of that so you wouldn't get bombarded by a crazy bill from having to use extra energy when it got cold. They just cut funding for that. So if your bill was $90 before, it could double. So next winter or even this summer when you're using more energy for air conditioning, instead of a $100 light bill, you might have a $300 light bill. And as we all know, if you don't have if you're on a fixed income that can change things significantly the, the fastest way to fall into to financial debt is to fall behind on simple bills i mean listen the only thing that matters in this budget is like corporate polluters and wall street billionaires because they're basically dismantling the epa but here's even the more interesting thing about that which is many people many very very smart people scientists people who are very involved in policy have said that our number one priority should be climate change because the number one risk to our security is climate 
change. And so while they are spending all this money on the military, on Border Patrol, on fighting ISIS, things that they say they are doing because they want to make sure that America is safe and secure, they have literally gutted all the money that is spent fighting climate change, the number one issue that makes us less secure. It's not ISIS. It's not you know, some woman and her child crossing the border looking for a better life. It's those, you know, that's not what is putting us most at risk for some kind of catastrophic event. What's putting us most at risk for a catastrophic event is climate change. So it's so most absurd to say, on one hand, that you care about the safety and security of America's and that this budget is a retooling that is made to put more money towards making sure America is safe and secure, but at the same time, the budget director comes out, and when asked about the money spent on climate change, he says, you should have known we're not spending money on that anymore. <laughs> That's not our priority. <laughs> well, guess what? When the big wave comes crashing in and you know everything gets devastated because of climate change, there's no money for that because we were too worried about ISIS. Well, you, you, you're talking about the big wave comes crashing in. The big wave is hit. In Flint, Michigan, they still don't have clean drinking water, and they cut the environmental justice wing of the EPA. Where is the funding to fix those pipes coming from now? It's not. The governor has started charging people for water again that they can't drink or shower in in Flint, Michigan, right now. You are killing people right now. And charging them for it. And I will add that even before this detrimental budget proposal came across and came about, the EPA was already underfunded. Hence, we had crisis like Flint and other places. But, you know, you know, Stanley made a good point about how it's going to affect people in upstate New York. Even someone like it may even affect you if you're getting a subsidy to help you pay for uh, heating and cooling. Um, Stanley, is there any way that this budget proposal might affect or hurt you or maybe your family members? So not necessarily me offhand, but for example, they're cutting funding towards transportation. And we all know in New York New York State that the MTA is not the most efficient or the most effective one. I'm sorry, Jackie. I know you're fighting hard to make them better. But one of the, one of the things that's great about the MTA or that used to be great about the MTA was that they had a policy that the people should not bear the burden of the cost to make it run, which means that the MTA should cover at least 60% of expenditures and in the communities the rest, which is what keeps the fares down. With these huge cuts happening to the MTA, what you're going to have to see happen is an increase in fares on the train, an increase in fares and fewer train services on Amtrak, which affects everyone across the U.S., an increase in bridge tolls. You're going to see worse roads. So when, while, you, when, while Trump is saying that he wants to have like this big, this, this big highway bill, you can't do that because you just cut funding for it. So literally, it'll be even harder just to get around. If you rely on public transportation to get to work, if you have to cross a bridge or go into another town to get to work, you're going to be spending more money just to arrive somewhere. Alyssa, do you... Do, can can you talk about any ways that you think it might impact you personally or people you know? I mean, listen, I think it impacts everybody personally and everybody that I know because of the fact that there's cuts for everything. Science, art, PBS, civil legal services is a big I- ticket item for me. I mean, obviously, I work in private practice, so we're not getting money from the federal government in my specific firm. But one of the big areas of law that needs money is civil legal services, because as you may or may not be aware, you're entitled to a lawyer when you like get a public arrested. defender. Well, you're entitled to a public defender when you get arrested for a, a crime, because that is written into the Constitution. But if you need a lawyer because you're getting evicted from your home, if you need a lawyer because your, te- your landlord has not turned the heat on in five weeks and so you stop paying rent and now they move to evict you. If you need a landlord because of some um, 
dispute you're having uh, with somebody that is a civil dispute or you need help in family court or all of those things are not things that you are entitled to a lawyer yet we've had some money for civil legal funding if that money gets cut you're talking about a whole group of people who essentially are going to have to represent themselves and navigate the court system on their own we already have a large group of people that have to do that because there wasn't enough funding to begin with for for civil legal services but to completely cut civil legal services altogether is going to increase the number of homeless people. It's going to increase the number of people who get evicted, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, this touches and concerns everybody in this country. And I know we have a caller, so I'll come back to this point in a minute. But it's going to hurt low-income communities of color and also Trump supporters, low-income white Trump supporters in the Appalachia region, the worst, the very people who voted for Donald. No, you're absolutely right. And I wanted to add on that as a journalist and a lover of radio, I was disheartened when I found out that the Corporation for Public Broadcasting would be eliminated entirely. No more and of switch. course, the, uh, the, the, the Corporation for uh, Public Broadcasting, they're the ones that fund PBS, NPR, and I listen to NPR all the time so and again we live in a society where we have fake news where we can't trust the mainstream media because they sell out to corporations but I trust and I love things like NPR and I hope you guys do too and it's like that's going to be gone the PBS news hour if you like this American life if you like um cereal all those podcasts come from NPR the national public radio and those are on the chopping block literally because they were barely funded as it was but we do have a call on the line. I want to get to him now. This is Kenroy. Kenroy, let your voice be heard. Uh, thanks, DC. Hey, guys. Guys, I'll get to the gist with the Trump budget plan. Also, uh, I'm going to call it the Ryan and Romney plan. Uh, Trump, you know, is going to his plan is going to hurt poor whites. They voted for him of lack of knowledge uh, and ignorance. Um, and also, um, another thing is this: Trump promised the Ryan plan, the Trump Romney plan promised not to hurt, take um, um, lower Social Security, which is barely enough, and Medicare. But you know, if you want to raise defense spending, some things will have to cut. And I think you know uh, they they're not lying. But they're deceiving themselves that they will have to touch Social Security and Medicare, which is barely enough. And, you know, as for food stamps, I think he wants to go after that, too, which I depend on. And as for Medicaid, he's go- I mean, I-, I thank God that I live in a blue state, but he wants to touch that, too. Uh, um, thank God for Cuomo and, uh, uh, and uh, de Blasio and our Senator Schumer and Gillibrand. But um, the-, the Republican ideology is not just the Trump budget, but it's the Republican ideology. People need to self-support themselves. But, you know, most people are not the 1%. Oh, thank you so much, Kenroy. I just want to say thank you for, you know, just talking about how, you know, this budget proposal um, and Trump's administration may affect you and other people who do... depend on SNAP and other government-funded programs that are lifelines. And we appreciate your call. And, guys, if you're listening and you want to talk about the Trump budget proposal, you can call us up at 212-650-6903. Is it okay to be mad at white people yet? What do you mean? They did this. Like the, straight, straight up, they did this. Alyssa's auntie, of the, no, like our my, coworkers, my like liberal, they, like, 
white people did this. Incorrect. So maybe maybe it's not your particular auntie, but you know somebody who voted for Trump. That's in your universe. So do you, Selena. So do I. But I like, white people did thing, this. So I, like, when can we start like being straight up and saying that we are all going to be screwed because of the Trump supporter? And they're going to be screwed too, but we get to suffer with them. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, but like rehashing how it happened isn't helpful. Now we need to talk about how it's going to affect these people so we can literally say like you screwed not only us, but you screwed yourself. Because that's another thing. Like, you know, on top of the fact that parts of this budget don't even make any sense because they don't even match up with Trump's priorities. For example, he said he wants to spend a million dollars on infrastructure in order to create jobs, but then they want to eliminate the transportation program that funds nearly $500 million in road projects. So on top of their priorities not adding up, I think it's beyond the fact of being like, you did this, because at this point, it's like irrelevant, right? It's like, now it's like, you did this plus is to say you did this but now it's going to affect you so don't come crying to us like we're already dealing with our own stuff because of what you did N- now oh you you know, they were interviewing Trump supporters the other day and this woman was like I get meals on wheels what am I going to do now and the guy was like well you voted for Trump and she was like yeah maybe that wasn't a good idea so I think now it's less so important for us to be like you did this and more important for us to be like you did this but this is how it's going to affect you you no, still think you I, I, would done dis- that? I would disagree slightly, and here's why. Because after Trump won this election, we spent months talking about how okay these people are that voted for him. They're not all evil. Now, so we don't repeat, we don't repeat the same mistakes because voting for Trump is pretty much a repetition of what we did when we voted for Bush. So, so we don't make the same mistake again four years from now or even two years from now. You need to know these people did this. They're responsible. This was the rhetoric. Watch out for it and do not let it happen again. The reason we keep on making the same mistakes is because we keep on empowering white people to empower racists and fascists. Selena. We have callers on the line who would like to let their voice be heard. Yes, we do. We have Tony on the line. Tony, let your voice be heard. How y'all doing today? Good, thank you. Well, we're trying to survive, actually. I got an idea on, on, on you talk about lawyers needed for these. Tony, uh, Tony, real quick, before you continue, please turn your radio down off, or off. No problem. Okay. The, the, the lawyers needed for these uh, civil cases, like to help people out in landlord-tenant court and, and, and whatnot. Um, why don't we get all these lawyers off those big cases that are doing all that suing, making all that big millions of dollars you read about in newspaper? Why don't we force them to go work and help the people for maybe like a less amount of money, like a maybe maybe just maybe like a hundred, two hundred thousand a year and that's it. We we cap their their fees and then they don't they can't be making that big lawsuit money. Well, well, Tony, you know, lawyers also, we already donate. As a lawyer, we already donate a ton of our time. I do a lot of pro bono work, and every lawyer is actually required to do pro bono work. As for capping fees, I think you misunderstand just exactly how hard our job is and about how much work we actually put in to help people um, and how much money we spend to go to law school. In fact, right now, I'm considered working poor as a lawyer. I owe over $300 in student loan debt. Going, yeah, 300000 which is more than a Ferrari in student loan debt. So if you're capping my my fees, you're literally saying that I should starve, you know, and yes, there are corporate lawyers that make a ton of money, but you can't lump all lawyers together. So do I think that corporate lawyers and how are you going to cut their fees? It's their corporate clients that pay them those big fees. Um, so, you know, it's a lot more complex than just cutting of fees. We do do a lot of work. A lot of us really do have a lot of student loan debt and a lot of us really donate a lot of our time already uh, to do pro bono work for low income people. Yeah. And I can definitely vouch for Alyssa, who I know she does a lot of work in the community including with the Swipe It Forward campaign. We do have another caller on the line. Miss Patricia, let your voice be heard. 
Good afternoon. How are you guys doing? Good, thank you. Okay, good. Well, I'm going to just be the advocate this this evening or this afternoon in regarding the budget and Trump and all that. We must remember that we didn't pay attention to the billions of dollars that um, Obama was sending over to countries to build mosques, and he sent money um, money over to Iran and all that. These are billions of dollars that we didn't complain about. Okay, so um, Trump, when he came in, he offset some of that money. It was billions of dollars he was sending over to Iran. I'm weighing that as to everything else. Some of that money is back into our system. We have lawyers that are using our tax dollars to pay for illegals that came here that they don't want to take any responsibility for. I'm from the plantation. We build this country, and we're watching all this going on, and we're paying through the nose on stuff. And, yeah, there are blacks who who voted for Trump. We are proud of it. We don't. Uh, we have no problems with things that are going on because now things are going back to where it should be. Miss Patricia, thank you so much for letting your voice be heard. And when I say thank you, I say thank you for being brave enough to say that. And now I must correct you. You are 175% thousand wrong when you say that Barack Obama was spending billions of dollars to build a mosque overseas in the Middle Eastern countries. That is not what was happening. You are 175% thousand wrong when you say that lawyers have been taking up cases or protecting quote unquote illegals because we let them into our country for free and then don't want to deal with them. First of all, there is no such thing as an illegal person. People cannot be illegal. That's just a simple fact. Now, when we're talking about Donald Trump and his policies and the way you feel that things are going back to, to the way they should be, if you feel that black people should be separated from white people as far as schools, then, yeah, things are going back to the way they should be. If you feel that people of color should not have the right to vote, then, yeah, things are going back to the way they should be. If you enjoy during the Jim Crow era or a white man could come and just punch you in the face or maybe just take advantage of you, then, yeah, things are going back to the way they should be. And if you love the idea of telling someone they cannot come and eat in your restaurant or sit in your restaurant, because you don't agree with who they are as a person, then yes, things are going back to the way they should be. If you voted for Trump and you're happy for it, listen, that's about that sounds like somebody who died headfirst into an ocean and said, I want to breathe some ocean air. And then as their lungs close down, they smile at peace because they know they finally got that air. You'll be drowned. You'll be happy. We don't have to deal with it. We will not deal with it. Yeah, and I just wanted to add one more thing in about the payment to Iran because a lot of people seem to get that wrong. I don't know, maybe because they listen to alternative news or they just like alternative facts, which is we actually took $400 million from Iran in exchange for the fact that we were supposed to sell them weapons. We then stole their money, did not sell them the weapons, and never returned the money to us. Eventually, Iran sued us in an international court, and they won. And the international court said... The United States of America, you owe Iran back the money that you took from them and never returned to them. At which point, the Obama administration said, yes, we are going to pay that money back because the court is ordering us to. So it's not a situation where Obama just decided to go give some money to Iran. It's a situation where we stole money from Iran and were finally ordered to repay the money we never should have been holding on to to begin with. And so because, briefly, because we had so many sanctions in Iran, we couldn't do it through a bank transfer because we banned and all Iranian banks, so we sent the money through cash. So, you know, maybe turn off that Fox News for a little while and listen and to something else. Like more, let your voice be heard. On that note, uh, we do have to bring this conversation to a close, but before we do, 
I want to address briefly the politics behind this, because even though Donald Trump proposed this budget budget, it's a proposal. And the people that would have to pass this is Congress. So basically what's going to happen, the White House and Capitol Hill, they're going to have to negotiate and they're going to have to figure out where they want to go from here. What this proposal did, it basically showed Americans where Donald Trump's priorities are. They're in defense and they're in their his priority is also in getting rid of undocumented people. That's in breaking up families. That's just simply what he's prioritizing here. So, you know, my question to you, Alyssa, is what is the possibility that you think this budget will actually pass through Congress? And do you think that this is somehow a good thing or a bad thing for Trump? This budget is dead on arrival. Congress is (laughs) never going to pass this budget the way it is. You have members of the Freedom Caucus on the far right saying that this budget does not cut enough, that it has to deal with entitlements. You have people on the left who are never going to support this budget. You have moderate Republicans like Rob Portman from Ohio saying this budget cuts the Appalachian Commission that has created a lot of jobs for Ohio. He's not going to support the budget. Literally, they are never going to get enough votes for this budget because there are so many different factions. What was the second part of the question? Is this a good or a bad thing for Trump politically? Oh, oh, politically. I think this is a bad thing for Trump because if, in fact, this budget does pass or even if a partially modified version of this budget does pass, the people who it's going to affect the most are going to be Trump voters um, and also low-income people of color. But putting aside the low-income people of color, when the Trump voters feel the effects of this, that's going to be just around 2018. And you know what else happens in 2018? A midterm election. And so if you are a Trump voter and all of a sudden your Meals on Wheels gets cut, this gets cut, that gets cut, and or you lose your job because you're one of the people that um, you know gets works for a company that gets a subsidy from the Department of Agriculture, for example, because there's big cuts within the agriculture department that would directly affect people who live on farms and in rural rural areas. You are going to be turning around going, holy crap, did I shoot myself in the foot? And when those realizations start coming around and those Trump voters start to realize that they've been conned, which we had been trying to tell them all along, they're going to go out and they are going to vote out those people in 2018, or at least we can hope they will. Sure, are there going to be some Trump voters that are totally brainwashed that are going to go out and vote for Republicans anyway? Of course, there's plenty of brainwashed people, as we saw from you know some of the callers that we get. Um, but at the end of the day, The fact of the matter is a good portion of the people who voted for Trump are going to have Trump regret and they're going to go out and vote for Democrats. And that's going to be a big problem for the Republican Party in 2018. Is that a thing? Trump regret? Stanley, we see how detrimental this bill is. Alyssa did a great job in breaking down why it probably won't pass and how this is going to hurt Trump. What should we be doing as people on the left, as progressives, as people who will be affected? So don't be so confident that this bill will not pass. Really? Yeah. As Paul Ryan bragged about earlier this week, he gushed. He said, we've been dreaming about this since our days in college over the keg. This is literally a wet dream for Republicans and people on the right. This is what they've been pushing for for years. So, yeah, there might be some concessions, but they have enough people in both House and Senate to get this done. So what you need to do and what you need to be doing for this budget and for Obamacare is calling your congressional member. And here is the number to call. It is 202-224-3121. Again, it is 202-224-3121. 
3121 and let them know you do not agree with these cuts at all. And if they do vote yes on these cuts, you will be going to see them on election day and voting for their opponent because they are literally going after everything we believe in. Now, whether people will finally get Trump regret, I don't know. George Bush almost destroyed the world economy and we're back here voting for another Republican who is 10 times as worse as George Bush. And we just had a black woman call in and say that she loves these cuts because apparently she loved being a slave. So I don't know. I don't have much confidence right now in anything. Thank you for that, Stanley. And I just want to end that. Ironically, Donald Trump's campaign slogan was make America great again, but he's cutting all the things that made and make America great. You know, I didn't have a chance to talk about how the Institute of Museum and Library Services, a program that launched 20 years ago under Bill Clinton, would also be cut and eliminated, uh, eliminated, uh, entirely and these are the this is the federal program that funds museums and libraries apparently Paul Ryan says they should be funded by the private sector we also didn't talk about how the interagency council on homelessness would also be eliminated in its entirety and again this agency creates and implements a federal strategy to fight homelessness so again all of the things that make America great that make us strong that embrace and encourage the diversity and just you know academia like the fact that we're cutting the arts the humanities museums and libraries where is that going to put our children and we also didn't have time to talk about how this is going to affect and hurt people who are smart people like Stanley and I who did a good job in the SATs who did a good job in high school but didn't have enough money to go to really good schools it's going to be even worse for students like that who have who have what it takes to go to Ivy League colleges and to go to HBCUs, but they can't get funding because they won't have the grants. And this is what's going to happen. America will be made back into the 1980s. On that note, we have to take a break, but don't go anywhere. We got more right here on Let Your Voice Be Heard. WHCR. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, this is Stanley Fritz. I am here with Selena Hill and, of course, the immaculate Alyssa Fuchs. And we have just finished an action-packed conversation about Donald Trump's budget plan. And now, if you're wondering what's happening next, it is the News Roundup. But... I'm going to add in one quick caveat. We had a bunch of people calling in with questions and comments. If you still have something to say about this budget, we are giving you some more time. Call us in. Let us know how you feel. The number is 212-650-6903. What's the number, Selena? 212-690-6503. So, okay. So, this is a news roundup where we talk about the stories that made us laugh, made us cry, made us extremely frustrated especially under the Trump administration. And I want to start off the news roundup by saying this. If you are so irritated by Kellyanne Conway that you cannot stand to listen to any of her interviews, guess what? Apparently, her husband is being tapped for a role in the Department of Justice. So... Her husband is Seems being legit. tapped to run uh, the 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 uh, Department of Justice's civil division, and two f- sources have confirmed that. So, get ready for more. When you're corny and white, you get all the accolades. 
Yeah, that's just what it is. I, I, I just I just can't because, I mean, talk about nepotism in the White House. Talk about all the things that are in unethical and definitely compromise the integrity of this office. And now this, I mean, I, I just think that it's ridiculous at this point. I mean, it is ridiculous. You want to hear something else that's ridiculous? <laughs> yes. Really quickly, and this is very local. So the last week the governor said that Rikers Island is hell and that we should close it. Everybody else thinks we should close it. And instead, Mayor de Blasio thinks we should spend $2 billion fixing it. No, Mayor de Blasio, we shouldn't spend money fixing it. Let's spend the money fixing up the borough facilities and closing Rikers Island and moving people back out to community jails in their own communities so their families can go see them, so they don't have to spend a whole day waiting trying to get onto Rikers Island, so that lawyers don't have to spend a whole day waiting to try and get onto Rikers Island. Rikers Island is a dangerous, disgusting, dirty place, and it needs to be closed, not renovated. Thank you, my friend. A good friend of our other show, Darren Mack, he's listening on Facebook Live right now. He's been very active in that campaign. I used to be against the idea of closing Rikers. I am 100% for it now. Oh, that's different for you, Stanley. Darren and like a lot of great people working on this issue, like Alyssa, they've really changed my mind about that. However, I do want to get to two people who have been waiting patiently on the line. First, we have Trevor. Trevor, let your voice be heard. Yes, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Can you hear? All right. I wanted to, I wanted to let you know, I think we can be thankful for the Democratic Party for I think we can be thankful for the Democratic Party letting this whole thing slip out of the Democrats' hand. Because the Democrats have been in office for how many, almost a decade now. And we're finally taking things serious when a lot of these atrocities that's happened around this country have been happening under the Democrats' reign. And so now to just blame everything, we knew this, the Republicans going to do what going to do. I don't know why we didn't actually really make uh, Hillary uh, uh, bring the issue seriously, you know, seriously. She let him win the first debate by just letting him just talk over her. She didn't take it serious, and he just ran rapshot over the whole thing. And if you look at it, he had millions and millions and millions of people voted for him. So all these millions of people can't be stupid because, see, it's the Democrats that really actually did not come through on a lot of things that many uh, voted for, and many folks just gave up on the Democratic Party. Trevor, thank you so much for calling in. You know, there's some pieces that I have I don't agree with, but I think for the most part you're right. The Democratic Party let their base down. The Democratic Party failed, and that's a big reason why we have Trump. Also, white supremacy and mediocre whiteness as well. I don't want to forget those two parts. I, I don't want to rehash the Hillary debate, but I know Selena had a comment. Yeah, just real quickly. I would disagree about the stupidity factor because I think that Donald Trump played up on the ignorance of small time, small town and rural areas. Uh, those who didn't have a chance to go and get a higher education and aren't too savvy when it comes to politics and understanding um, rhetoric. But I think that what he did was he used the politics of fear and he made the undocumented people and brown people the other and said, hey, if you elect me, we'll get rid of these other people and you will be able to succeed economically. Alyssa, real quick before we get to our next caller. I mean, I definitely agree in terms of the Democratic Party being a letdown. We've talked about that at length on this show. I disagree about them being in power for long periods of time. I mean, they were not in power at all until 2006, essentially. And then Obama won in 2008. And then in 2000 and and, and they, they were in power for two years. And then in 2010, you had the Tea Party wave. And after that, the Democrats were essentially 
usually out of power. So I really think the only time that you can really point to the Democrats being in power in the past two decades is 2006, 2007, 2008, and 2009. That four-year block. Should they have done more in that four-year block? I think so. Was there uh, definitely obstruction going on from 2008 to 2010 when the Tea Party wave happened? Absolutely, there was obstruction. But I don't think it's fair to say the Democrats are in power for a long period of time because, historically speaking, they weren't. All right, guys, we want to go back to the calls. We have Miss Diane from East Harlem. Shout out to El Barrio. Am I on? You are. I'm on. I'm in love with you guys. I'm in love. I'm in my 70s. I live in Spanish Harlem. You call a spade a spade. I grew up with white people who love being a slave. Thank you for saying that. Thank you for everything that you're saying. You're speaking truth to power. This is my first time. I just happened to stumble upon you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. No, thank you, Miss Diana, for <laughs> listening and supporting us. We are ecstatic of your enthusiasm, and we appreciate people like you that support us and then give us accolades. Yeah, that. We hope that you'll keep tuning in, that you'll listen in again next weekend. <laughs> that was definitely the highlight of my Sunday morning. So definitely. That was, thank you, thank you. We appreciate that. Did we have another call on the line? Yes, we have Cecil on the line. Cecil, let your voice be heard. Good afternoon. Um... My my call is directed to uh, Mr. Stanley there. I believe that you insulted the sister that called earlier, and you marginalized her in her opinions, and I don't think you should be doing that on this. These Democrats here um, aren't friendly towards us. Look, look, at, look at our governor. He just raised our transportation costs. He raised the subway fares and the bus fares, and he's a Democrat. How do you explain that? Economics. The federal government is not giving enough funding to the MTA, and they have to raise fares somehow. No, I agree with you. He shouldn't have given the okay to raise those fares. And by the way, if you live in New York State, the subway fares were raised officially today. So if you're going to get on a train today, you're going to have to pay extra money. So thank you, Cecil, for letting us know that. However... I don't think that I marginalized that, that the young lady who called earlier. I'm going to call on Uncle Tom and Uncle Tom, and I don't really appreciate or support the thoughts of House Negroes. And then whenever they call here, they'll have a chance to let their voices be heard, and then I will hardly and happily destroy their faulty opinions. Um, but I do think that there's a good point to be made about uh, the Democratic Party. I mean, I just, before we had started taking calls, I mentioned that I have a big problem with Bill de Blasio and the fact that they don't want to close Rikers Island and the fact that they don't want to get rid of broken windows policing when it is affecting low-income communities of color and immigrant communities all over the city of New York. So I do think that there is something to be said about the fact that we have a lot of Democrats that sell out. But do I think that that means we should vote for Republicans? No, I don't, because I don't agree with conservative policies. I think we need better liberals. I think we need to vote out these Democrats that are selling out, and we need to elect strong, progressive Democrats that are not selling out. That's how we solve that problem. And also, one more thing, not just better liberals, but also start electing more people of color into office. Because if you elect more people of color into office, you have fewer of these problems. And also women, because women tend to be not stupid. Well, they legislate better, according to statistics. Yeah, and then also, l- listen, I'm, I know Uncle Tom's have opinions, but, but pigeons also have voices. That doesn't mean I have to hear them. Well, you know, speaking of people of color, there's another story that I wanted to bring up. Apparently, a study says that 
people perceive black men like Stanley as bigger and scarier than white men. So this study, I know a new study. I know that's an old study. I know that this study pretty much confirms what we already knew. But I guess the, the shocking thing about it is like, yes, this is still happening in 2017. So according to the study, uh, both white and black people often view, view black men as being older, bigger, and stronger than they actually are, both white and black people. However, white people said that because, according to the survey, because black men are bigger and stronger in their minds, it justifies more police excessive force. I black people, that's racist. Black, black it's people, racist. hold on, let me finish, let me finish. Black people, on the other hand, said, yes, they are, we, they perceive other black people as bigger, but no, it does not justify uh, excessive force. I want to pick up on that. It's funny you mentioned that because Darren Wilson and Mike Brown have come back into the news recently. So we found out two huge things, actually a couple of huge things, but I'll mention about three of them. One, Mike Brown did not steal cigarellos from that grocery store that the, that the police so happily showed a video of. Actually, he had gotten those cigarellos in exchange for something that he gave in a paper bag. They're assuming it was marijuana and he had gone and picked them up. Secondly, Darren Wilson in a civil suit admitted that A, Mike Brown never tried to grab his gun. B, Mike Mike Brown never hit him. C, Mike Brown was running away and that he did shoot Mike Brown in the back. And oh. D, that he has used the N-word multiple times. What? But he said it's not racist. Where have because you been this week, Selena? Sorry. But continue, Stanley. But he said it's not racist because he was just repeating the other police officers. So when we say hands up, don't shoot, and you say that was a lie, I tell you that this is what mediocre whiteness looks like. The irrational fear of a black man put a young black boy in the grave and no one was held accountable for it. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And it just shows that, you know, we talked about implicit bias uh, last year and we talked about how everybody has it. But things like this are just unjustifiable because they're leading to the deaths of unarmed black and brown men and women across our country at disproportionate rates. So we definitely need to take a stance and to check ourselves and how we are perceiving people of color. We are shooting and killing black girls and boys in cold blood and known as being held accountable more than 20 trans women have been killed in the last two months trans women of color and no one is saying anything about it and then when we call these things out there's some sort of mysterious magical negro who has these powers and scares these cops to death something has to give because there's only so long people will keep saying no justice no peace before they re-engage with the black panther philosophy and start walking down your streets with rifles Right. I mean, listen, that's already happening in Texas. There is a large group of people that are the black Second Amendment folks, and they have a gun club, and they walk around exercising their Second Amendment rights to open carry in Texas, where it is legal to do that. Before we get going uh, from this segment and start getting into the next segment, I did want to mention that um, we've had some scary news about what may be going on with North Korea. As you may or may not know, North Korea has been trying to launch strikes or testing out, test-firing uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles, which are potentially nuclear warheads that could reach the United States. Our policy for a long time was essentially to monitor closely what the North Koreans were doing, but knowing that they really didn't pose such a great threat since their technology was mediocre at best, um, the Obama administration really had a policy of sort of just riding it out and seeing if we could ride them out with sanctions and other things. Now, in a speech that was given over in Asia, Rex Tillerson, who is the current Secretary of State, mentioned that we may potentially decide that we are going to preemptively strike, which is essentially to bomb – 
North Korea. If that happens, it is going to start a war. And it's going to start a war where the North Koreans may very well nuke us. So, you know, while you're talking about black people getting killed indiscriminately in the United States, which is a huge issue, I totally agree, as a civil rights lawyer, you know, by next year we may all just get killed. Oh, oh well, that was a great way to end the news roundup, Alyssa. It's true. <laughs> Donald Trump's going to get us all killed. We're all going to die, and Uncle Tom's love Donald Trump. With that being said, guys, we're going to go on a quick break. When we come back, we won't be talking about Donald Trump, but we will a little bit. But we'll be driving down this idea of maybe we're going back to the 80s, and not the fun part, just the cocaine. WHCR 90.3 FM, New York. So, guys, we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, this is Stanley Fritz. I'm here with Alyssa Fuchs. And, of course, the beautiful, the intelligent, the charming, the celebutante, the traveler, Selena Black Enterprise Hill. <laughs> and if you don't know what Black Enterprise is, it is the black magazine, the feature black magazine for black business and black power. And Selena's an editor-in-chief. No, she's not. She's but a I'm black empowerist. She's empowering the black with the blackity black black rap tracks. You guys said it, not me, but I'll take it. That's Thank you. right. And if you were just tuning in, we had a great conversation about Donald Trump's budget and how it's going to destroy your life unless you work in the military or are funded by the military or want to build a 2,400-mile wall. And if you're not, you're poor and you're black or you're a woman or you need meals on wheels or you know you like things like affordable housing it might not be that good for you or you live in nigeria yes it might not be that good for you then we had the news roundup conversation where usually we talk about our favorite news stories and things that happened through the week but the first half of that was taken over by callers who either a wanted to defend donald trump because they feel like he supports them b defend the person that defended donald trump that i happen to call uncle tom or c call in from east harlem and tell us that they love us miss diana we love you too and el barrio so now the last portion of this segment, the segment I've been looking forward to for a while, the segment that makes Alyssa perk up with excitement every time we even talk about having it, is the discussion on the 1980s. And here's why we're having this discussion. Because, as many of you may know, Donald Trump has promised to make America great again. When we're, when we're talking about what makes America great again, we have to ask the question, what does a great America look like? to the people in charge. Donald Trump is a Republican. He works with Republicans. Most of his voters were Republicans. And when Republicans talk about a golden era in the United States of America, they're usually talking about the 1940s to the 19s to just about the beginning of the 1960s, or they're talking about the Reagan era, the 1980s. And what we saw in the Reagan era, because that's the part we're going to be talking about today, was a gigantic increase in the unemployment rate for African Americans. Whereas African Americans had made huge strides in employment and education in the six, late 60s and 70s, Reagan came in and stripped many of the great society programs. And all of a sudden, you saw a reversal in black economic growth. And unemployment for African Americans has skyrocketed to about 20% and still going. What we also saw was a huge growth in hedge funders. Whereas before, most CEOs had a base salary. A lot of them now were being given stock stock coverage in their in their pay as well. So the more money their business made, the more money they made, which incentivized them to do things that would just focus on making money and not necessarily focusing greatly on the products. What else did Reagan do? Reagan talked about the welfare queen. Reagan really criminalized African Americans. And these are all things that Donald Trump seems to be doing, but now he's adding a mixture of Mexicans and of course Muslims too. But now, 
the piece de resistance, the biggest piece that people remember from the Reagan era, two things, the HIV epidemic and the crack era. And greed. Greed. Greed of course, is that's that's the PS. That's that's the overarching thing under all of this. In 1982, Ronald Reagan sat in his Oval Office and he said that America was under a crisis, under a drug crisis. That there was a drug out there that was terrorizing the communities, that was causing high-level crime and just badness all over our urban populations. And he promised to have a war on drugs that would address these things and bring back law and order. The problem was, at the time, there wasn't a huge drug problem. Heroin usage had gone down drastically, so had marijuana usage, so had cocaine usage. But the the president was still saying that this was a problem. Also, around that same time, we saw an influx of cocaine being flooded into the United States, coming mostly from Nicaragua, Dominican Republic, and also Colombia. And where was it landing? In places like Los Angeles, California, and Texas, and New York State. And, all, and then one day, some random guy named Rick Ross suddenly discovers this thing called crack. And with the 20% unemployment rate already happening, and with an ability to get pretty much cocaine, just watered down and a lot cheaper, the crack epidemic in the United States exploded. And all of a sudden, we saw all these lower-income communities, white and black, because 58% of cocaine users in the U.S. at that time was actually white, compared to 38% of African Americans, exploded. And now, in response, the Reagan administration Congress and Senate had to respond to these things, and it decimated black communities. It decimated Latino communities. And here we go with Trump as president talking about law and order, and his attorney general, Jeff Sessions, talking about how weed destroys families and makes you lazy and causes crime. And we're starting to wonder if we're going back in time. So in this conversation today, what we're going to be talking about is what did that era of crack or crack epidemic, what have you, look like in the 80s? Why did it happen? And where does it leave us today? So to start the conversation, I want to throw it to our perfect legal scholar who can kind of give us like a top-down explanation of what the crack hour looked like as far as in the judicial sense in the 1980s. Alyssa? Right. So essentially, actually, it really starts before the 1980s and before the crack epidemic even gets started is during the Nixon administration, which is the 70s, um, uh, Richard Nixon, before he ends up having to resign because, you know, he's a crook, uh, he decides that we're going to have this massive crackdown on drugs. And he starts, he kicks off what is essentially now known as the war on drugs. That starts in the 70s with Nixon. Thereafter, under the Reagan administration, um, we see an influx into cocaine use. Um, and then we also then see that become crack use. Now, the big thing legally that's interesting about this, well, actually, before I get there. There are some questions about how crack infiltrated the black communities to begin with. Many people have done research on this, and there is some indication that it may have actually been the U.S. government through the CIA that actually didn't create crack, but was responsible for distributing it throughout black communities and out throughout immigrant communities. Whether or not that's actually true is sort of speculative, because we don't have any actual proof of it, but there is some evidence to indicate that that is true, and many people do believe that. Putting that aside, what we then start to see is a situation where 
are, there is a difference um, in sen- in terms of sentencing between whether or not you have powdered cocaine or whether you have crack cocaine. And this is a- essentially a racist policy because the majority of people who used powdered cocaine were white. And the majority of people who used crack cocaine, potentially for the reason I just mentioned, were people of color. And so the government decided that they were going to pass laws. In New York, those were known as the Rockefeller laws. At the federal level, um, it was just the sentencing laws that would say that if you got caught with powdered cocaine, you would only get X amount of time in jail. But if you got caught with crack cocaine, which is the same exact drug in just in a different form, that you would go to jail for three or four or five times as long. And the reason why this was they were doing this is because they played this racist, racist narrative that black people smoked crack and that it made them crazy and that it made them do crazy things and it made them violent and it made them commit violent crimes and therefore they needed to be locked up for longer periods of time. All of this was BS. It was all made up as a racist way to increase the number of black people that went to prison. And so it became the new Jim Crow, which is Jim Crow was over. The government needed a way to essentially enslave black people. And they did that through the prison system, which is why you see this mass explosion of the people of color in prison in the 80s. That is still having tremendous effects on our communities today. Real quick, I'm, Selena has her hand raised, and I want to get to her. But just to clarify, you would need 500 grams of cocaine to get five years in prison, whereas you can have a gram of crack and get five to ten years in prison automatically with no parole. Selena? No, you guys are absolutely right, and I just wanted to add to the data there because the U.S. Sentencing Commission released a study that showed 79% of about 5,600 5, uh, people sentenced for crack offenders were black. So that's nearly 80%. Only 10% were Hispanic and only 10% were white. However, uh, data also shows that people who admitted to using crack, 52% were white, 38% were black, and 10% were Hispanic. So, I mean, the the disproportionate, the, the, the rates of disproportion are just clear. And the fact that white people were using crack, because there are more white people in the country than there are black people. So that was a pretty normal proportion. But when it came to sentencing and locking up black people, it was astronomical. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. But like, let's talk about just the impacts that crack had on African-American communities and Latino communities in the 80s, because we're not just talking about the prison sentencing. When you do so, when you change sentencing laws and you put more people in prison like that and you focus it on a certain group of people, so black and Latino, it has kind of a, a, a mudslide or avalanche effect on it, which means that it impacts other things. And between 1982 and 1987, the percentage of African-Americans, Latinos going into foster care increased by 25%. The percentage of single mothers in African-American and Latino communities increased by 39%. The unemployment rate for African-Americans went from 20% in 1981 to 32% by 1985. This is what was happening in those communities. Meanwhile, the budget for for police increased in states over 300%. Oh, yeah. So so I wanted to comment on that because Dr. Carl Hart, who we've had on this show before, who is one of the most prominent and leading um, uh, doctors when it comes to studying uh, drug, drug use and uh, also crack. He put out he actually released a book. Right. And I think it's called High Price. And if you read, actually, so you read the book. Mm -hmm. Right. So he was on the show before you came here, Alyssa. And uh, if you read the book and you and you read his studies, 
he talks a lot about how the crack epidemic was just blown out of proportion and that because of poverty and other factors that were disabling black communities, those were contributing factors in the 80s that related that uh, that also resulted in broken households and the fact that uh, there was more for, um, black and brown children going into foster home. And what he says is by us putting so much onus on the crack epidemic it's a kind of relieved us from paying uh, relieved the government from paying attention to poverty and from lack of education mm-hmm. and from all the systematic ills that contributed to the dysfunction of black communities it was not just crack I, I want to actually pick up on that, Selena, because you make a very good point. During the same time that the quote-unquote crack era was happening, there were significant cuts to education, particularly education funding for low-income schools or schools where you had a majority of people in communities of color. However, I want to shift gears just slightly before we go on a quick break. We all grew up in the late 80s and the 90s. I know this impacted people. I want to hear like how the, this crack era or the impact of drugs in the community, how did it impact you? How did you perceive it? I know for me, one of the things I remember very clearly is being a kid and seeing crack files all over the floor all the time. And it was just a way of life. And you would see like people coming into your hallways smoking and you didn't know what it was, but it had like that sweet oily smell of marijuana, but a little bit more chemical. Like, so that, that was, that was my childhood. It's not like that anymore. I don't want to go back to it, but are we, like, how can we say that, you know, it wasn't such a, a big epidemic when I'm having experiences like that? So it, it sounds like that was your norm and it was traumatizing. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. But I like here's the thing. I think it like it focuses on the the trees, not the forest. Right. I mean, it's traumatizing for you because it's what you see. It's what you saw every day. And it had an impression on you because you were a child and children are impressionable. But when you look at the bigger picture, what you realize is that at the time when Reagan actually declared war on drugs, drugs weren't really a huge issue in the United States. In fact, drug abuse at that time in 1982 was at its one of its lowest points. In fact, only 2% of American population at that time was addicted to drugs before crack got big. The second thing is asking ourselves about the origins, as I mentioned, of where crack came from to begin with, and whether or not it was actually put into the black communities for that reason, to decimate the black community, which obviously is speculative, but there's a there's some evidence to say it has, which, which I address. The third thing is that, you know, it still doesn't, that may have been what Stanley saw, but it does, it still doesn't speak to the sentencing disparity when it comes to crack cocaine because plenty of white people. Okay, during the 1980s, you had Wall Street, Gordon Gecko, greed is good. Everybody on Wall Street was snorting cocaine. If the police really wanted to bust people for doing drugs, they could have gone down to Wall Street and ran the pockets of any Wall Street banker. And this is probably the case now as it is then. And they would have found a ton of of powdered cocaine on that person. And if they did, they probably either would have let them go or they would have been sentenced to a small amount of jail time because they were not scared of these people because they were white and they worked on Wall Street and they were bankers and they snorted cocaine. And that is, like I said, it was a a distinction without a difference because crack and coke are the same exact drug. And so that is very similar to what we see today when we look at broken windows policing, which is white people in New York City walk around, they smoke weed, they drink wine on their front stoops, nobody cares, nobody does anything about it. But if a black person does the same thing on 125th Street, 
street, they're going to spend a night in jail. So the more things change, the more they stay the same. And we can only see this going to possibly increase during the Trump era since now we're all talking about law and order. But we all know what law and order really means. It means screw the black people even more than we've already screwed them for the past 50 plus, actually 200 plus years. Yeah, guys. So, Alyssa, thank you for that rant. We do have to go on a quick break. When we come back, we have two callers on the line with a lot to say. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. WHCR 90.3 FM, New York. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, The Voice of Harlem. If you were just tuning in, this is Stanley Fritz with Selena Hill and Alyssa Fuchs, and we are having a conversation about the crack era of the 1980s. We so far have talked about how it even got here, what the impact has been on African Americans through the criminal justice system, as well as employment, and then we started talking about how it impacts us, and a funny thing happened. People started to call. So... Instead of us doing all the talking, we now have callers on the line. But before we get to them, I want to give Selena a chance to make a quick comment. Selena? Yeah, no, uh, Alyssa did a great job in just uh, explaining uh, the detriment of crack and how it was used to vilify black and brown people. That's where we had, like, the the crackheads and and the crackhead mother and, like, all of these stereotypical words that were used um, and also came into play. right? And, like, ghetto and, like, basically, like, these were the words and the terms that were used to describe black people as if white people weren't doing drugs. And they weren't just only doing drugs on Wall Street. There were a number of white people who were, you know, taking cocaine in college dorms and in clubs. It was just almost the norm, but it was only the black people, the brown people that were being stereotyped for it. But on top of that, we didn't talk about how politicians used the vilifying of black and brown people who were, who had a sickness and who were addicted to drugs for political gain. They were also doing, they were also playing into this narrative so that they can win votes and then you know if you were listening to the news roundup i talked about how a study showed that even to this day in 2017 people view black people as scarier and this is the reason why for decades we focused so much on how black people were were scarier they're bigger and if they and they're using these drugs which are making them go crazy and this type of rhetoric was even seen like in the new york times back in like 1914 there was an article that talked about this so it's like history is definitely repeating itself thank you very much for that so we do have to go to our callers the first caller on the line is ron ron let your voice be heard yes good afternoon Good afternoon. Yes, I would, I would like to say, if I can do it and squeeze it in a minute, is that um, the, the wages that this drug epidemic have done on at least the black families in America, I think America as a whole was hellishly undescribable in words. And so just minimize it with statistics, it's just like only sitting behind the desk. Um, this drug, if you notice, uh, okay, from, from the 80s on, um, People that were, had property left left to them from their from their grandparents and so forth, um, it all went up in smoke. A little bottle before the '80s got out, people was dropping like flies. I don't know if you have any members of your family that 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 perished from this crack and and uh, this drug epidemic, but I know many of my my, my classroom um, peers and family members. That's not even around today because of this. And our communities have been devastated. This is why we're so politically disenfranchised. And I would like to know, would you be able to uh, 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 compare anything from, you mentioned about the drugs coming from uh, uh, Nicaragua, 
uh, Sandinista and so forth and so on, when the president now is saying this is why he wants to keep people out. I mean, you know, we, you know, we can look at him as an ugly guy, but there's some stuff that we have to look at. So I, I don't have the whole dope on it, but I'm saying this this has really de- devastated us. I mean, this is this is not just statistics, you know. Okay, that's about it. Ron, thank you so much for letting your voice be heard. Real, qu- I'm going to let Alyssa answer the question about where the drugs came from, and then I'll comment very quickly on whether Trump has something good going on over here with this. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a fair question. I think the big difference is that the drugs that were coming in there from Nicaragua were being were coming in because the, the people who were bringing them in were backed by the CIA. And so the CIA was essentially to helping these people from Nicaragua to bring in the drugs because of the fact that Reagan was selling them weapons. That's the Iran part of the Iran Contra scandal. That's how they were getting money to buy the weapons. Right, exactly. And so it wasn't a situation where just immigrants were just bringing drugs over the border. Um, it was a situation where the government was literally helping them do it. Yeah, and to the point that sometimes they would get called by the police and arrested, and a federal agent would come and take them out of prison and wipe their record. And that, that's what was happening. In relation to whether Trump helps to stop this, first of all, let's never forget that Trump is a subhuman being piece of garbage. Secondly, Donald Trump's policy to allegedly kick people out of this country or deport them or build a wall would not solve the problem of drugs because the issue with drugs is America enabled drug distribution in this country for a long time. And also, the people coming from Mexico or some of these Southern American countries are trying to escape a lot of those same situations that America has perpetuated onto their countries. They're not trying to deal with it. And then finally, immigration from Mexico to America at this moment is at net zero. Most of the immigrants coming into this country are coming from Eastern Europe. We have 50,000 undocumented Irish people in the country right now. Happy St. Patrick's Day. No one's talking about them. So when you make that argument, you're making a false argument based off of racism and a fair brown people. Thank you. Did we have another call on the line? Yes, we do have another call on the line. I think it's James. Forgive me if I butchered the name of it. James, let your voice be heard. Yes. I don't know if you remember, you mentioned about drugs. I can tell you back to in the 60s, during the Vietnam War that came out, and there was this so-called LSD that was put out by the government. See, you talk about Bush. It's not Bush, not Trump. It's the government itself was experimenting on these people. Now, all of a sudden, it was the, 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 what, cut down the population. So, in a sense, the black community was the first to be experimented on, as well as the whites. So the question comes up, well, who's the guilty? It's not the government. It's the government. It's the people within the government. Your senator. Oh, um, James, I'm so sorry. It looks like we did uh, lose our connection with you. Please feel free to call back. You were making some great comments um, about Alyssa. If you could just reiterate really quickly and then answer. Yeah, no, no, no. He was saying that the government was involved in putting drugs into mainstream into the mainstream, and I think that's correct. I mean, um, you know, LSD is a whole other scenario because LSD actually today is being relooked at as possibly providing. Um, potentially good or benefits, psychological and psychiatric benefits. Um, And that is being re-looked at, although it was abused for a long time, which is why the government actually scheduled one day. But I think it's a good point that the government has had their hands in this and that these drugs, they came from somewhere. They didn't just come from from nowhere. I know we have another caller on the line. And after that, I wanted to get back to talking about some of the sentencing and some of the issues about the 80s. So we have have a lot to talk about. We'll definitely get to that. So James, he's back on. I'm sorry we had... lost you but go ahead and finish your thought okay during that time you had a group in this country mostly your white 
middle class were pushing that drugs because they were using it as an experiment. LSD is a hell of a chemical to destroy the brain. So the question comes up, well, how do you stop this? And to this day, crack. All these things were all created by the government because the government has a plan to reduce the population of people in this country. So most likely it's to kill mostly blacks and save the whites. So you have to go back and check the records, and you'll see that this is nothing but a plan being proposed. Even the government, even the military is involved in this situation. James, thank you so much for calling and letting your voice be heard. Um, you know, there's a mixture of there's a lot I agree with. There's some that I'm not sure about, but not but not necessarily because it's wrong. We've seen that the government has had a play in, in a lot of things. Um, randomly, I don't know why, but it's made me think about the Omar who hasn't called in a long time, and I, I hope hope we hear from him soon. Alyssa, um, before we get to you, Selena, you seem like you want to say something. No, I just wanted to say that even though a lot of things that you know. That are being brought up Maybe speculative Like I think that It just shows The distrust we have For the government Especially as people Of color Because Some of the things That they did Were so horrible That it's like How can you trust A government at all So I understand These conspiracies And these these these, And even like The, the fact that There is some evidence To support it Yeah no You're absolutely right Selena Because when people Start talking like this And some people Might write them off As conspiracy theorists The government was was sterilizing black and Puerto Rican women all throughout the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. And I was all thought to be a conspiracy theory until a report came out that they were literally testing birth control on people to figure out if it worked or not and telling Puerto Rican women that this would help to make your period lighter and then not telling them that they would no longer be able to have children. We also know that they had the gonorrhea and syphilis testing on those Tuskegee soldiers. So it's not that far-fetched to think that the government will pump some drugs into our community. It, it, it just really is not. However, I don't want to stay on the 80s for too much longer. I want to switch gears now. So I want to throw it to Alyssa, who I think is going to help us turn that corner. Yeah, well, no, I mean, I, I, I'm just going to stay on the 80s for two more seconds because I think there's two more points that need to be pointed out. Number one, R- Ronald Reagan was talking about it was morning in America. It was not morning in America in the black community. The unemployment rate um, in the black communities in 1984 was four times the rate that it had been in 1954, which means more people of color in black communities were employed in the 1950s than in 1985. In addition, um, you had Reagan signing in 1986 the Anti-Drug Abuse Act. That was actually had bipartisan support by Republicans and Democrats and this whole Just Say No campaign. And what that ended up doing, which I mentioned before, is that mostly white rich users and dealers of powdered cocaine cocaine um, had to be caught with at least 500 grams, as Stanley mentioned, to receive the same five-year minimum sentence. This obviously led to mass incarceration. By 2000, black people comprised 62.7% of all drug offenders in state prisons, which, as our guests mentioned, absolutely decimated the black family. And this was even worse during the crack craze in the late 80s and early 90s. During that time, white and black people were selling and consuming the drug at a very, very similar rate, but black Users and dealers were getting arrested and convicted at a very high rate. In 1996, two-thirds of crack users were white, but 84.5% of defendants convicted of crack possession were black. So these are the same themes that we saw in the 70s, in the 80s, in the 90s, and today. We continue to repeat the same things. So, guys, it's time to close out this conversation. And... I really want to take us back to the present now. In the present, over the last eight years, what we have seen is a big push to to lessen and and soften some of these 
punishments and penalties that we have for drug use. We've seen a huge flow of support towards families, especially now that the heroin epidemic has hit white communities. And we've seen more of an effort to try to understand drug addiction as a disease and not someone with low willpower. And just as we were feeling hope towards these things happening, we got Donald Trump and Jeff Sessions into the White House. And what we are seeing at this moment is the Department of Justice, which has promised to focus its energies on punishing people for marijuana use. We have seen the Department of Justice who has seen, who is focusing its energies now on once again punishing people for being drug addicts. And there's no writing on the, there's nothing happening just yet, but the writing on the wall is getting clearer and clearer every single day. And it brings me to my final point. There's a reason that we just rehash the Reagan era and what happened in the 80s and what the policies looked like and how people reacted and who got hurt. It's because as much as Donald Trump is not like any other Republican we have ever seen, he is just like Ronald Reagan and the fact that he is stupid and people love him for it and that he has a serious problem with people of color and people love him, love him for it. The only difference is Reagan had some slight pushback because there were Democrats in the House and Senate and he didn't have the supermajority. We've had people who have been evil, but not all powerful. We've had people who have been all powerful, but they were stupid. And now we have somebody who is stupid and all powerful and driven by a machine that is hell bent on undermining and destroying the lives of black and brown people. This is Trump's America. Welcome back to the 80s. With that being said, guys, we got to go on a quick break. When we come back, it'll be the news roundup. And Alyssa will be the telling quickie. you. Sorry, the quick. I always get those mixed up. It'll be the quickie, and Alyssa will be telling you about Arkansas's plan to execute eight prisoners in 10 days. What, are the, what the hell are they doing out there, guys? I have no idea. And we are back. So we just finished talking about mass incarceration and the connection between mass incarceration and the war on drugs. But mass incarceration is also connected to conversations about the death penalty um, because people of color are executed at a much higher rate than any other group. And in many cases for crimes that are not as heinous as those that are committed by white people. Back in February, in a case known as Buck versus Davis, the Supreme Court actually blocked the execution of a Texas man because of racially discriminatory testimony that was presented by his own lawyers. Um, in addition, several justices, including Justice Ginsburg and Justice Breyer, have indicated that they believe the death penalty should be ruled unconstitutional under the Eighth Amendment's prohibition against cruel and unusual punishment and that we should permanently outlaw it. At the same time, many states throughout the country have had a lot of difficulty finding execution drugs. This is because many pharmaceutical companies have that make these drugs actually are refusing to sell execution drugs to the United States, to states that want to use them for executions over moral concerns. Because of that, Arizona announced last year that it would actually stop using the lethal injection, because, partly because of the logistic challenges obtaining the drugs faced. Because of this drug shortage, Arkansas has actually not executed anybody on death row since 2005. However, last week, the governor of Arkansas announced plans to execute eight men in the span of 10 days. This is almost a quarter of Arkansas's entire death row population. It is more than a third as many people as were put to death in the entire country in 2016. And it's the fastest clip at which people are being put to death in Arkansas ever. The eight men that are facing execution, four of them are black, four of them are white, were all convicted of murders that occurred between 1989 and 1999. And the proponents of the death penalty and victims' rights advocates have been frustrated that these cases have dragged on so long. 
All of these men have sat on Arkansas's death row for decades without being executed. So why the sudden rush to execute all of them now in the span of 10 days? And the answer is quite simple, which is the state's batch of lethal injection drugs are going to expire. And if they are not used by a certain point in time, they will not be able to be used because if they expire, it raises other concerns that these executions may be botched. And so in order to avoid that question from arising, the state has decided, oh, my God, everybody, we have to kill these people. We have to kill them now. So. The drug that we are talking about is a sedative that is known as Mitalo- Sorry, I'm going to screw this up. It's Mitalozam. If you're a nurse or a doctor, call us in and tell me the correct way to pronounce that. My sister probably is cringing right now because she's going to be a nurse. Um, and this is the drug that they actually use to sort of put you in that twilight when you go to the dentist if you have to get some teeth pulled. Um, it, how, it is supposed to make the condemned person unconscious to in, essentially lead to a more humane death. However, in practice, it has been associated with multiple botched uh, executions that have resulted in intense pain and suffering for inmates. Critics of its use say that in injections, it is not actually a sedative. It's an anesthetic and that is, is misapplied in the first rounds of lethal injection when inmates sometimes are able to actually peel pain from the subsequent drugs they administered. Um, the high profile case that we saw this was in Oklahoma. The person's name was Clayton Lockett. We actually talked about this on the show a while back. He was administered this drug and it took him 43 minutes to die after they gave him the drug. And during that time, he appeared to struggle, to moan, and to be in pain. So these executions were actually scheduled by the state of Arkansas uh, when the governor took office about a year ago. And, but they were not supposed to happen all at once. The problem was the state had to halt them because there was lawsuits brought against the state over the fact that the drugs were being kept secret or the sources of the drugs were being kept secret. And so the state was then ordered by the courts to have to disclose where they were getting their drugs from. All of these legal challenges made it really hard for Arkansas to obtain some of these drugs. And because of that, they had to slow down the pace of their executions. And in fact, we saw how executions have been slowing down throughout the entire country because of all this litigation surrounding the use of mitolozam, um, or sorry, mitazolam, and uh, other execution drugs that states are trying out because they're not able to get the drugs they used to use due to the pharmaceutical companies cutting them off. Last month, the Supreme Court declined to review the last of the Arkansas cases that were pending, and that paved the way for the states to be able to set these execution dates. So when Arkansas then went to set the execution dates, they realized two things. One, they had run out of potassium chloride. That's actually the drug, the third drug in the in the com, in the cocktail that stops your heart. And two, that the melitazam or melitazam or whatever it is, because I can't pronounce it right, um, was going to expire. So they were like, again, oh my God, what are we going to do? Well, they were like, well, we got to get some potassium chloride and we got to figure out what we're going to do about the expiration dates. And so they went to work trying to get some potassium chloride and they got it. We don't know exactly where they got it. That's what the lawsuit was about to begin with. So eventually we're probably going to find out where they got it. And that may be the subject of more lawsuits because if they got it from some shady place, there's going to be a challenge saying, well, we don't know where this potassium chloride came from and we don't know if it's safe. Yeah, whether or not a drug is safe to kill somebody. Wrap your head around that. Um, And so by the time they got this potassium chloride, they realized that the other drug, the melitazam, was going to expire. So they're like, "Eh, we got to do this now. 
So what, that's exactly what they did. They set all these execution dates to happen right around the same time. Now, the ACLU has come out against this. They say, one, we shouldn't have the death penalty to begin with, but by rushing these executions, it's more likely that they're going to be botched and that people are going to suffer cruel and unusual punishment. The men's lawyers said that even in the best case scenario, the most likely would only entail an alternative form of execution um, to the current three drug method, which is essentially to say that we would be able to execute these people easier if we use the firing squad or if we electrocuted them. Now, I know Stanley's given me this crazy look, but a lot of justices have already come out and say the reason why America doesn't outlaw the death penalty is because we've made it seem like we're putting people to sleep. We've made it seem humane. And that if we went back to the firing squad or we went back to electrocution, Americans would see just how barbaric it was. was, And that would make Americans a lot more likely to come out against the death penalty. And there's been a big push, actually, by death penalty opponents to, um, who think that we should outlaw the death penalty to say we should make the death penalty as gruesome as possible so Americans know that we're using the United States of America and the government and their taxpayer money and executing people in their name. Uh, that is a different issue that we can address at a later date. If you're interested in that, tweet at us. Let us know. Maybe we'll do it on a later show. Executions. These executions are coming at a complicated moment for the death penalty. Nationwide, the number of executions has been declining. Although many Americans still support the death penalty, recent polling shows that support for capital punishment has gone down significantly since the mid-1990s. As I already mentioned, until the Supreme Court rules that the death penalty is unconstitutional, um, we are not going to get rid of the death penalty, but many more challenges are arising as to whether or not certain methods of execution nonetheless violate the Constitution. There is no doubt that many of these people have committed horrible crimes. We should not forget that. But racial issues predominate our already broken criminal justice system. Many innocent people are executed. You are far more likely to be innocent and executed if you are a person of color because of the role race plays in the criminal justice system. And if the death penalty is going to stick around, It must be reformed. One of those proposals is to go to a standard called beyond a residual doubt, which essentially would be a standard even higher than beyond a reasonable doubt, which is to say, if we were not 100% certain that you were the person that committed that crime and we were not 100% certain that that crime was heinous, you would automatically get life without parole, where we would only execute people that A, committed super extreme heinous crimes, and B, we would only execute the people that we were 100% percent positive actually committed them. Those are proposals that have gotten some traction, but they have not yet been enacted by the legislatures. And until we either abolish the death penalty or change it, we are still going to have a system where many, many innocent people are executed. And most of those people are going to be black. Right. Um, you know, so that explanation and the detriment in Arkansas. Exhausting and depressing. And holy crap, Sabrina Swaby said, oh my goodness, murder isn't from the 90s. She commented from Facebook Live. Thank you for that That comment. was heavy. Yeah, that was definitely heavy. Sorry to leave you like this on your well, Sunday morning. If you want to resist that, then you can go to the website for the ACLU and make a donation to the American Civil Liberties Union. Yeah, no, that, that'll be a great uh, act, an action that we can all take. And, you know, we just want to thank everyone for calling in, chiming in, and listening to Let Your Voice Be Heard this Sunday. If you love us that much, you should subscribe to us, our podcast, on iTunes at Let Your Voice Be Heard Radio. You can also find us online at the acronym of Let Your Voice Be Heard. That's that's L-Y-B-B-H dot 
gmail.com. And you can just keep tuning in if you'd like to listen live and leave comments. We love it when you do, when you do that. We'll be back next Sunday, God willing, right here on WATR 90.3 FM, The Voice of Harlem. Thanks for hanging out with us. She gon' eat this like it's rice. Eat it all. I'ma let that leaf flow through my eyes. Really? Say she never had a me go night. I'ma make her sing like Kelly Price.